0: You can open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 5. This is what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, If you need a Bible, if you forgot your Bible, we have some in the back uh, in that yellow bin. You can grab a Bible. Uh, Those are ESV Bibles back there. Grab one of those. So we're going to look at Ephesians 5. This is the third part of our Connected series which we're talking about how how to honor God in a digital age. Um, The first message a couple months ago was on not loving the things of this world, and the problem being the desires of the flesh, the lusts of our eyes, the pride we have. Last month, we talked about how we're called to not conform to this world, but be transformed by God, that our minds need to be renewed so that we can discern what God's will is and what pleases Him. And so this month, we're going to continue to just kind of pull on that thread or hammer that nail, however you want to view it, you know, however it feels to you, from Ephesians 5. Continuing to talk about worldliness, the things we see online, the things we watch, the things we consume. And that fill our minds and hearts, and the effect that has on us. So we're going to look at Ephesians five, verses one through sixteen. And this is what God's word says to us tonight. Ephesians five one it says, "Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering." For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Probably an Easter hymn from the early church. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. I started this series by saying that I can't tell you what to do, how much time is too much time on your phone or playing video games, who to follow and not follow on social media. I can't lay out for you exactly what to do, but Ephesians 5 has a lot of godly and biblical principles that we can apply to our media habits. And that's kind of one of my goals in this series, is taking the Word of God and just placing it over our phones and what we consume and let the principles of God's Word guide us and protect our souls and help us to live godly lives. And the goal is that we would have a biblical conviction about what pleases God and that conviction would lead to decisions you make about your habits. And my desire is that you would think about what is best and not just do what everyone else does or what the culture is doing. And listen, Christians have always had to wrestle with this. How do we as Christians relate to the world around us? How do we participate and evangelize and live in this world and not become worldly. And it's hard to do that. That's why a lot of the New Testament addresses this. Even in the early church, Uh, I've read several early church fathers and pastors who were writing to churches and their congregations, and they were talking about then the gladiator games. And they had many Christians who were going to these games, and they were watching these gladiators kill people and massacre people, and they would do these reenactments of these Ancient battles, and all of these citizens would come from all the cities around to watch this. And it was the thing to see, the thing to be a part of. And Christians would go to this. And you have, I have all these examples I read about of early church fathers who are trying to warn and encourage their church don't participate in this. This is worldly. It's not good. I mean, we can't imagine thinking about going to these games and watching them murder people and slaughter them. And, you know, I think. We have to wrestle with what we do and what we watch and what we, what we participate in. And it's hard at times. Remember the, the quote I gave uh, at the beginning of the series by C.J. Mahaney is today... The greatest challenge facing American evangelicals is not persecution from the world, but seduction by the world. I don't think that's just today's challenge. I think that's always been Christian's challenge, is being seduced by the world. And the world is. It has a message. It has values. It has products. It's trying to sell you. It it is advertising to you, this is the good life. And it really takes the power of the Holy Spirit. It takes God and the gospel of grace satisfying our hearts to show us that is not the good life. That is not what God says is the good life. And we want to reveal that and expose it. And Ephesians 5 gives us helpful categories to fight the seduction of the world. So look back at verse 1. Paul here, just to set up these categories, is encouraging us to be imitators of God. He refers to us as beloved children, so sort of like how how little children will imitate their parents. He's saying, you know, we are children of the Father, children of God, and he wants us to be imitators of God. And what Paul is doing here is he's moving into the implications of the Gospel into our lives. So, we don't have time to do this tonight, but if you go back and you read through Ephesians this week, you'll find he goes back to their calling in Christ. Ephesians 2 he talks about what they used to do when they lived in darkness and were children of wrath and how God, by His grace and mercy, saved them and He called them by their grace and transformed their lives. And then he talks about the body of Christ and what it means to be a part of a church. And then, in the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5, he's talking about holy living. So what if we are people who have repented of our sins and trusted in Christ and we've been set free from sin... What does that mean for our lives? How how does that change what we say and what we watch and what we we think about? And how does that change our relationships? And he's moving into these gospel implications. And you can see in verse 2, the reason that we can talk about holy living is because Christ... Gave himself up for us as a sacrifice for our sins. That's the message that affects how we live and what we value. He gave himself for us. We are set free from sin. We're born again to a living hope. We're new creations in Christ. We're not what we once were. We're not what we want to be, but we're not what we once were. We are saved by grace. And so he's saying, now as a Christian, how should that affect your life? And he gives us three categories. He gives us a bunch of categories, but three categories I want to highlight from our text. Category number one, the first category, gospel implications. First category, what we say and hear. Okay, what, what we say and what we hear. The gospel affects us. We haven't really hit this category yet in this series, and so I, I want to talk about what we talk about and what we laugh about and what we listen to. Look at verse 4. He says this. This is a very clear verse on what we use our words for. It says in verse 4, "...let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving." John Stott says all three of these filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking basically comes down to a dirty mind expressing itself in a dirty conversation. And I think the context of what Paul is referring to is verses 3 and 5. Look down at verses 3 and 5. He's talking here about sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness, not even to be named among us as Christians. And then in verse 5, he gives us those same three categories. You should be sure of this, that everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. So I think, I think what he's talking about is, is what we listen to, what we consume, and what we talk about has to do with what he's, saying, what he's saying we shouldn't do has to do with talking about immoral things or talking about others in a way that doesn't honor them or God. It's about um, talking about impure things. It's foolish, you know, it, it's crude joking. It's making fun of somebody or something that is ungodly. It's, it's filthiness. That's what's coming out of our mouths. Or that's what we are consuming. Um, That's what we're putting into our minds and into our hearts. And I can tell you, you don't have to look far online to find this kind of language. And it's not just about what we speak. It's about what we write. It's about what we read. And you can go online and anywhere find all kinds of foolish talk, crude joking, filthiness. And Paul says, let there be none of this among you, which is out of place. Look at verse 4, how he says that. I love that. Little phrase Paul uses, which which are out of place, doesn't fit for Christians to be talking about these things. I don't know about you, but when things are out of place or off center or not symmetrical, it drives me crazy. Um, I, someone sent me this thread of just things that are just a little bit off these different pictures, and literally I broke out in a cold sweat looking at some of these pictures. So I wanted to share them with some of you who have OCD. So, pictures like that, like, oh my gosh, can't even look at that, like that is insane. It's insanity, it's just out of place. See if you can find this one. Liter- literally, I saw that picture and I thought, what, what is wrong with you? you- That one tile, do you see it? I saw it immediately. It's out of place. Or that one. (sighs) Yes, don't even open it. Just throw it away. Yes, we're on the same page. (laughs) That one I'm okay with. I just, I would probably, that one drives me crazy. Like I would be tempted to move that manhole and straighten that line out because I cannot handle that. Let's see what the next one is here. I love it. You see how they put that on the wrong way so it's not lined up? I feel like that guy all the time. Just his like, what is wrong with this world? Everything is out of place. Or that one. I I don't even know how that happens. But at that point, that building has to be demolished at that point. Like, it has no reason. Do we have one more is that the last one? I think that was the last one. But the, those pictures, when I saw those, I thought, you know, all of those, it's like something is just off a little bit. It doesn't fit. It's, it's not lined up. It, it doesn't... Go with what you expect. And there's something off here. That first one especially where you have those straight lines and the picture is just off a little bit. Paul says, you know, for for Christians, for those who Christ has died for you and he sacrificed himself for you and when we are participating in these things and when foolishness and filthiness and crude joking and sexual morality and impurity and covetousness and when these things are coming out of us, it's out of place. It doesn't line up with the proclamation of the gospel. Even listening to these things that are impure, immoral, crude, foolish, covetous. It's out of place for Christians. It doesn't line up with who we are in Christ. It doesn't fit with the transformed hearts we have because of the gospel of Christ. And so much, so much content online is out of place for Christians. And I can't give you a line. That, that's, that's what I like about this text. I can't give you like a, a line to measure, you know, what exactly is too far. But when you read the text, you let these principles transform your heart. And sometimes your conscience just tells you this is out of place. There's something impure about this. There's something dirty, you know, this, this language. It's just the Holy Spirit is inside of us. He convicts us. We, we feel when there's something going on and it's just out of place, it doesn't line up with the gospel. It doesn't line up with who we are in Christ. And Paul says, let there be none of this among you. Avoid these things. You know, and I've heard so many teens, I've already mentioned this before, but I'm going to keep hammering this nail. I've heard so many teens say, it doesn't bother me. I'll watch something, it'll have crude language, or it'll have all this vulgarity in it, and they'll say, it doesn't bother me, it doesn't affect me. And, and, and I always ask them, or I want to ask them, shouldn't it bother you? Like I know you say it doesn't bother you, and that doesn't encourage me, that concerns me. Now if you see something and you go, you know what, it really bothered me, and I turned it off. Or I thought, I don't need to do that anymore, that really bothered me. I got done with that and I thought that was unwise. I have that happen all the time. You know, I'll watch something or I'll listen to something and I'll say, you know what, that's bothering me. But if, if you're saying it doesn't bother you, What I would ask you is, are you being seduced by the world? Because these things should bother us. The impurity, the covetousness, the immorality. Um, Our world is filled with these things. Crude joking, foolish talk. I mean, and this isn't just, you know, this can go into news. This can go into talk radio. It can go to sports shows. It can be anywhere. Just foolishness. And it should bother us because it's out of place for Christians. I love the end of verse 4. So what do we do? What should we say? What should be coming out of our hearts? What should be coming out of our mouths? What should we be typing? What should we be commenting on? What should our Instagram feed be about? You know, the end of verse 4. But instead, instead of foolishness and crude joking and, and filthiness, instead, let there be thanksgiving. Think about that. Is that not appropriate for Christians? Is that not what should be coming out of us? Gratitude, thankfulness, joy. Um, Man, we we get so much more than we deserve from God. We're so blessed. We should be every day as a gift from God. and We should be encouraging and thankful. And I just think, how rare is that to see thankful things online? I, maybe you have that all over, but I, I, I have a hard time finding anything that, man, that was encouraging. That was filled with gratitude to God and encouraging words and thankfulness. And I think sometimes that happens on social media with godly people. They're, they're sending encouragement and commenting, but it's so rare today to just be thankful, even just complaining. So many things online are just people complaining, just ranting and raving and You know, just just getting on there, just having a hard heart and just commenting on all these negative things. And and Paul says, for us as Christians, what should be coming out of us is thanksgiving, thankfulness to God. Which, by the way, also counteracts covetousness of verse 3. If you want to fight coveting others, which is just jealousy of what somebody else has, with something they have, a relationship, a possession, and if you find yourself comparing and and wanting them and coveting something, the way to combat that is with gratitude and thankfulness. Give thanks to God for what you have, all the good gifts of God. So the first category is just what we say, what we talk about, and what we hear. Okay, And, and, And Ephesians 5 gives us some some guidelines on that. Second category is who we follow. Okay? Who we follow, who influences us. Verses 8 through 14, it's all about light and darkness. That we are to walk as children of light. And it's amazing how important light is. And, and there's all these references in Ephesians about light. Sometimes we take light for granted. This summer, as a family, we went, to, uh, we went on a tour of a cave in Middle Tennessee. And at one point of the cave, they turn out all the lights and you are in complete darkness. Has anyone done this? Um, they said, and it's true, you cannot see your hand literally in front of your face. And so I remember being in the cave and... You, you can't see your hand, and so you, you're like, it feels really close. I actually poked myself in the eye. Like my finger touched my eyeball trying to see my finger. It was so dark. And Paul says, that's, that's the unfruitful works of the world around us. It's like they're stumbling in the dark trying to find their way, and they can't even see in front of them. And we, he says, are children of light. Walk is I love that phrase, walk as children of light. God has opened our eyes. He's shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And in verse 11, his instruction is, for those who walk in darkness, take no part in their unfruitful works. Don't participate. Verse 7, don't become partners with them. Paul is not telling us to avoid all contact with them, but to avoid joining them in their sin. Don't partner with them. Don't align yourselves with them. Don't place yourself on their team, those who walk in darkness. And I think this is one of the challenges of social media. Because we have access to so many people around the world and they... Uh, curate, they present their, themselves to us in a certain way on social media. And at our fingertips, we have access to all these people. And what we're doing when we follow them and read them is we begin inviting them to teach us and tell us what to value, what they love, what to think. And we begin to be influenced by them. And in such a celebrity culture, we, we give them authority, And we give them influence in our lives. We feel like we know them when we really don't. It's a way that we are seduced by this world. I've been really intrigued this week, I'm sure many of you have, by Kanye. Have you guys heard, how many of you guys have seen Kanye's new album, okay, For some reason, this side of the room and not this side of the room. So this is my hip-hop side, and this is my non-hip-hop side. So Kanye West, hip-hop artist, came out with a new album, um, Jesus is King. Uh, And it would seem, if you listen to the lyrics of the album, it's very encouraging. It would seem like he has become a Christian. Um, and he says he's a Christian, and people are saying he's born again. And what, what's intrigued me this week is how people are coming out very strongly determining whether he's a Christian or not. And they're speaking authoritatively into Kanye and, and what's really going on here. And, and I'm reading this going, you don't know. One article said, Kanye West, Jesus is king is fake Christianity at its finest. That was one article. Another article right next to it said, Kanye is the solution for the church today. So one guy says that he's a fake Christian. The next article I I read, he's the solution for the church today. The fact is, we don't know, okay? Uh, My response is, I hope he's born again. I really do. I mean, I pray he's born again. I hope he is. That would be so encouraging. I hope everyone's born again. And I want him to know Christ and the joy of Christ. But the guideline here that he gives us in Ephesians 5 is to look for fruit in people's lives. To, to watch for fruit in their life. There's, there's fruit for those who walk in the light and fruit for those who walk in darkness. And I saw one, I think it was on the Gospel Coalition, a post that just said, you know, with, with Kanye, what's going to happen is, you know, this fruit has sprung up and it's the parable of the soils. And really quickly... We're going to find out if it's true or not because he's already being persecuted for Christ. People are already persecuting him and if he can endure that and stick to Christ and follow him and hold on, I think it's the real deal. And I don't think it's going to take a long time to find out um, because he's already enduring persecution for releasing this album that he published, Jesus is King. Um, but but what, what Paul wants us to do here in Ephesians 5 is use discernment, who influences us. Look for fruit in their life. Look for humble servants. Look for those who over the long haul have treasured Christ and laid down their life and served others. That's who we want to follow. That's who should influence us. Not some celebrity, you know, thousands of miles away that we follow on social media and is selling us products. That should not be who influences what we value. And honestly, for most of you, the person who is humble and hardworking and loves Christ that you should be influenced by is the person sitting next to you tonight. Um, That's who Paul would encourage you later on in Ephesians 5 to follow. Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents. This is right. Honor your father and mother. Why should you honor them? Man, because they've loved you and laid down their life for you. And there's this temptation in teens to and I remember feeling this, attaching myself to these other uh, celebrities, musicians, people that I looked up to, and missing what was right in front of me, uh, which are, you know, these humble, hardworking servants that are our parents. And so, Paul's talking about this category of worldliness of who influences you, who influences how you think and what you value, and and what you wear, and what you read, and the music you listen to. You know, is it the world, uh, or is it the light? People who walk in the light, children of the light. Third category, quickly, how we use our time. So he gives us this category of our speech and what we listen to. He gives us the category of who influences us. You know, who we're partners with, who we participate with in this world. And then he gives us this category of how we use our time. Look at verse 10. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's what we want to do. That's that's how we avoid worldliness. We discern, we, we, we decide and have convictions about what pleases the Lord. And then in verse 15... He says, look carefully, pay careful attention how you walk. Walking is an analogy for life, how we live. So. Chapter 2, Paul uses this analogy talking about how we used to walk in trespasses and sins. Chapter 4, he says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we've received in Christ. And so, looking carefully how you walk is pay attention to how you live. Pay attention to how you use your time. Think about, uh, look carefully, use discernment on how you're living your life and what you are giving yourselves to. And the focus here is not on what to avoid necessarily. But if you look at verse 16, the focus here is making the best use of the time. It's being wise. It's, it's saying, every day I have this opportunity, this time, these minutes and hours that God has given me. How can I make the best use of that time? What's the best thing? Not just, not what an okay thing, or how can I get through the day, but what's the best use of the time, discerning what pleases the Lord? What's the best thing I can do with my day? And we can't do everything, so we have to make choices all day. What's the best use of my time? And I want to briefly address video games because we haven't talked about them a lot uh, in this series so far, okay? The, 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 the thing with video games that is so dangerous about them is not that they're necessarily sinful or bad. This is what, is so, what I found so tricky about video games. I know uh, Ted Tripp when, his, when he was here had a strong opinion about video games. Um, I find that what's so dangerous about video games is not always the content of the games because they're not necessarily always sinful or bad. The problem with video games is they are addictively good. The problem with video games is they're so good nowadays. I love this Tony Ranke, He says this, He says, our shows and movies and games lure us to give ourselves away to the screen. A video addiction. A giving of the self that must be reserved for God alone. An idolatrous giving away of the soul to a media that will never love us back. I love that. Which means that the greatest problem with video gaming... Is not that gaming is innately evil, but that it's addictively good. This is, I think, one of the categories I want to give you guys especially, is are we being seduced by the world? Not necessarily by something that in itself is sinful, but it's just so good that we give ourselves away to it. We give our time, we give our energy, we give ourselves away to something that will never love us back. And what gaming does is it, it taps into our competitiveness, our love for stories, our interest in problem solving, and we just get sucked in to giving ourselves to them. That's my biggest concern with video games, is how much time we use on them. I remember, this will date me a little bit, uh, show you my age, but I remember when the first City came out on Nintendo. Does anybody remember SimCity? I'm the only one who played SimCity. We got SimCity... And it was like I don't know how many vectors were on the screen, like twelve total. But it was just these little grids. It was very simple, but you, you you built a city. You started. You just had this landscape. You built streets. You built a sewer system. You got a police force. You got fire, and you just slowly over time, over months and years, and you had to raise taxes and lower taxes. It was just a game on urban development, basically. But I remember getting the game with my brother, and uh, we got it for Christmas. And we started playing at Christmas afternoon, probably. And we started building this city. It's probably like Pluniac Land or something. We started building the city, and we built, and we built, and we built, and the sun went down, and we kept building, and building, and building, and we played the game all through the night, never went to bed, stayed up all night, all the next day we played the game into the next night. I mean, it was multiple days. And I remember, like, when we stopped, something had happened to my brain. Like, something disappeared. I, I was like a zombie walking around. Uh, I remember just how addictive it was. And, and it was interesting. There's nothing sinful about it, about, you know, building a city and raising taxes. Maybe there's some sinfulness there. I really hiked up the taxes, you know, but um, it was just so addictive. And the question Paul gives us is, think about your life. What's the best use of your time? What's the best thing you can do? In business school, uh, I remember learning about opportunity cost. So opportunity cost is just, you can't do everything. And so any decision you make with your money, you're saying no to something else. So if you have $100 in the bank and you say, man, I really want these $100 pair of shoes, and you spend your $100 on the pair of shoes... The opportunity cost is everything else you could have done with that $100. And so you're making a decision saying, I value these $100 shoes over everything else I could have done with that $100. And opportunity cost with our time is every time I play video games, every time I'm giving myself to whatever this media is, whether it's just binging shows or playing video games, everything I give myself to means I can't give myself to something else. Okay, and verse 10 says we want to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. And so the question Paul would say is, what pleases the Lord? Look carefully at your life. Just be honest. Evaluate your life. Look at this week. Look at this month. And say, is the amount of time I'm giving to this, is it pleasing to the Lord? It's not sinful. Not necessarily wrong to play video games. I'm not saying that at all. But am I doing it in such a way where I'm giving myself to it? And I think the opportunity costs. Mainly is serving God and serving others because every hour we spend doing this means we can't do something else And what I see around this is so many opportunities to serve I just feel like man. There's so much to do in this life. We have such little time So few days so many people need the gospel so many people need care I went down to thrive last week um, in Park Ridge. We were filming a video we're going to show on Sunday morning, just highlighting serving there, like using an afternoon. Uh, some of you were down there serving dinner to the kids. It doesn't take a ton of time, but was so revealing. As I was down there just to shoot this video, and I was helping out, and Matthew was doing the video, and when I stood there, I was waiting for Matthew. I had not been there 30 seconds, and this little boy in fourth grade opened up this door, and he goes, are you a volunteer? And I said, "Um, uh, yeah, I guess so. And he said, can I read to you? I said, yeah, absolutely. And he just, he grabbed me and he just started reading me books. And man, he was by himself just craving somebody to read a book to, to read with him so he could talk to him about. And I thought, this is a good use of time. Like, I could do so many things with my time and there's so many things we could do that are good that are beneficial, serving in your home, serving your family, serving your siblings, serving others, serving your friends, writing them encouragement notes, studying God's Word, so many good things left undone. And the opportunity cost was that we decided to do these things. And then we look back and so many times, uh, parents will resonate with this, but so many times when you hear, man, I'm just so busy, life is so hard. And then I always look at, well, what have we actually done with our lives? Is it really that busy or is it just we've prioritized the wrong things with our time? And that seems to be it more than ever. I remember I had a college roommate who got into playing uh, the original 007. uh, And he would play it all day long. He dropped out of college. Um, He had a job that was part-time, 15, 20 hours a week, and all he did was play this game. And I remember he got so discouraged. I remember talking to him, and he was just always discouraged. And he, he would get angry with us because he would play this game literally hours all day long. And then we would get home from school, from VFC, from leading Bible studies, and he'd be like, play this with me, please play it with me, please play it with me. And so we say, okay, we're going to play it with you. And we didn't play it as much as him, so whenever he played it, he would just kill us all in like 30 seconds. Like he knew the levels, and so he would run down, pop up behind us, shoot us, and then we'd respawn, and he'd be standing there killing you. And I was like, this is no fun, man. Like, you've gotten too good at this. This is no fun. But I just remember him being so discouraged and connecting the dots in my mind. You know what you could be doing with your time? and what you are doing. And I understand why you're discouraged because there's so many good things you're saying no to so you can say yes to this video game. Here's what David Foster Wallace wrote 15 years ago. He says, "I think the next 15 and or 20 years are going to be a very scary and very exciting time when we have to reevaluate our relationship to fun." And pleasure and entertainment. Because it's going to get so good. And so high pressure. That we're going to have to forge some kind of attitude toward it. That lets us live. I thought that was prophetic. Because it's gotten. It's not that it's so bad. It's so good. That it just draws us in. And if we want to really live and enjoy life, and enjoy relationships with God and others, and serve, and benefit from all the things Scripture has for us. I think that quote's a great guide to the digital age. Has it gotten so good that you are giving yourself to it in a way that we should only give ourselves to God? Has it become an idol in your life? And you're going to talk about that in a minute with your parents. But here's the cost. The cost is... You're missing out on so many good works God has for you. Just flip over to Ephesians 2.10 real quick. We're going to land here tonight. Look, Let's start in verse 8. Let's just read this because this is such a vision for the Christian life that Paul would want you to have with your time. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not by works. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, that analogy of walking, that we should live in good works. Every day... I believe by grace you are the workmanship of God because of grace, because of Christ. And every day He has good works prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. And really my heart is, I don't want you to look back 10 years from now, 15 years from now and think, what have I given myself to? And what have I missed out on? Because God had all these good works for me to do and I gave myself to to media, social media, video games. I, I gave myself to them. And I miss out on all these good works God has for me. So Paul's vision seems to be a vision of good works, of enjoying God, discerning today what pleases the Lord. What's the best use of the time? What's the best thing I can do today? What's the best thing I can do with my afternoon, the next few hours And we want to, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because Jesus gave Himself for us, we want to give ourselves to God and good works that He called us to. So let me pray for you, and then we're going to do some discussion questions. So Father, I pray. I pray for everyone in the room tonight. It's so hard. In this world we live, to not be seduced by the world, to to give ourselves to it, to give our time, to give our energy, to give ourselves away to entertainment. We are so easy to amuse ourselves to death. And we need to figure out how to live. So I thank you for your word. And I pray for these biblical principles and guidelines that it would guide us in how to live lives worthy of the calling to which you've called us in Christ. Just thinking about that testimony tonight. Man, we can, we, there, there's so many good works, so many people to reach out to, so many people we can love and serve and lay down our lives for. And we want to walk in those good works. So help us do that. Give us humility as we talk about these things together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.